Hey, this is John, and in today's podcast, we ask the question, is the future designable and how? If so, what advice would we have for a 16-year-old kid looking at the future with a sense of fear and anxiety as to what they should be doing? Welcome to the podcast, Heroes of Futurism, with me, Jonathan Cherry. This podcast is about the future and how to create it, what opportunities exist, what ideas are worth thinking about, and how you can begin to design the future that you want. Let's start right now. Hi, Susan. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> As if we haven't spent the whole morning together. Very formal. Okay, so here's a question which I thought would be interesting for us to chat about. When you think about the future, mm-hmm. how do you feel about it? What em- like what emotions do you feel when you think about the future? Any future that comes to mind? Um, I guess it would depend on my mood and like, what is the day of the week? What? So, you know, if it's on a Monday morning and you ask me what I think about the future, I might not feel as excited about it as I do on a Wednesday evening or Thursday or Friday morning. Okay. So for me, I mean, I'm not saying that as a factual response. I'm just saying that's my, I think I'll probably be more optimistic at different times. (laughs) Okay. So I guess what you're saying is that the future is not a sterile thought. It's not something where you, you know, it's not the same as thinking about, um, I don't know, the South African flag. If you think about, well, maybe that's a bad example. All right. If you think about a fork. I feel hopeful when I, about the South African flag. Okay. When I, I think about that it. That was a bad example. Okay. So if you think about a fork. Mm-hmm. Do you think differently about a fork on a Monday morning as opposed to Friday afternoon? Definitely. Really? Because on a Friday afternoon, you show me a fork. I'm going to be excited about, are we going to go out to eat? What could I fit on that fork? What does the fork look like? It is ornate. Is it very, you know, more modern? Is it one of those round forks? Is it the brass with the, like, the enamel tip? (laughs) Okay. So there's a lot. Clearly, there's a lot of stuff. On a Monday morning, I might feel like it's pressure and be like, oh, my God, what am I going to have to cook? I've got a full day. I've got to come home. I've got to go to a meeting later. You know, so I might not feel as. Right. Okay. So I guess then the same as the way you look at the South African flag or you Mm. think about a fork, the future is also something which you think emotionally about. I do. Yeah. But I don't think everyone thinks about the future in the same way. No, but I think they do because Mm -hmm. I think when people... Oh, so let's ask our listeners, do you think about the future in a hopeful or optimistic way? Well, that's an interesting question because I think it would vary for different people. Sure. We saw there's like huge statistics of people emigrating at the moment. Yeah. Um, Which also, again, yes, there are lots of statistics about people leaving the country. But also, why are they leaving the country? It doesn't necessarily mean that they're leaving the country because they're not hopeful about the country. It might be that they've got a good job opportunity in another country. And also, maybe a lot of people are immigrating into South Africa because they're, they, for them, they see so much hope here. Right. So, again, <laughs> I guess my point is that for so many different people, the future is something which is charged with emotion. People either have dreams for the future or they have fears and anxiety sure. about the future. It varies. And what's even more complex about it is that somebody might have dreams about the future which are also peppered with anxiety and fear around the exact same thing. Sure, I think so there's can... loads of layers to it. Okay. The so future guess... is an onion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> but I think what's so interesting about it is that when, you know, we do a lot of work with companies mm. and, and when you're helping a company with a strategy, that strategy, when a company thinks about it, it usually involves a team of usually white males that sit in a room and they decide on what the future strategy is of that business. But their decisions in that room will affect many people that are not in that room. And when they go and present their choice to other people, they do it with a PowerPoint presentation and they say, right, this is the way we see the future. We are making certain assumptions about the future. And because we know better, we've decided for you. But actually, the future that they're presenting has got an emotional, it's got emotional currency for the people that they are presenting it to. And now, like as a company director, you hand this PowerPoint presentation to somebody and say, right, that's where we're going. You've never asked that person their opinion. You've never really presented the information in a way which helps their emotional connection to it. So, okay, so I know I'm interrupting you, but I agree and disagree mm -hmm. with you because I think you are thinking specifically about strategy for a company right. and thinking about a future for the company. And maybe we need to be more specific because when you were sharing, the one thing that came to my mind was governments might not think in the same way. They might have more involvement or they might only make decisions themselves and not have any other input. Uh, if a, say, the, a museum's company, a national museum's company, they might not be interested in making money, but be able to speak about a future and strategize a future which isn't only about money. Mm, but I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily just talking about money. I'm saying, so I'm using a company as an example, because okay. that's the kind of work that I generally okay. do, is that I don't work with government as yet. So I think let's just specify, give yeah. the example specifics. Yeah. So the specifics are, is that a company that makes money, yes, on the surface, a company makes money, mm. but it's also a place that people go and spend, you know, on average eight hours of their day. Mm -hmm. They are investing their own personal time when mm. they could be with their family, they could be doing other things. Mm -hmm. um, they have hopes and dreams as to what that company is going to offer them in the future, a fulfilling career, mm -hmm. opportunity for travel, um, mm -hmm. a secure job environment. And I guess what I'm saying is that the future is a psychological construct. It's not necessarily a defined place. It, the future doesn't exist as yet, if you believe that the future is not predetermined. So it's somewhere that you can act in order to create a future that you want. Sure. And But I'm not sure if everyone knows that they can create their future. Don't they? I wouldn't make that assumption. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so let's start on that. Let's start on that topic. Let's just say, imagine if you are born into a very impoverished community mm. and you are maybe a fourth generation that is being born into that. So your history right. it, and the stories that you are told by parents and family members are really relating to the context of this impoverished community in, into which you were born. Or to the other extreme, if you're born into a very wealthy community or a very you know, wealthy culture or a very wealthy area, and maybe it's just where you are physically born, and all the stories that you get told of family weddings or birthday parties and all of that relates to 
that story, you might just think, you might not think that you need to create your future. You know, you might be able to just think that this is going to be your future because you're born into it. All your stories, everyone that you speak to, everyone comes from this, whether it's totally impoverished or totally. Well, one could assume that if you come from wealthier, more affluent areas, that your education uh, is of a different level and, you know, parents can provide for you in terms of you could have a coach or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but let's go back to impoverished communities. So let's say that all your stories and everything you know relates to stories handed down from within these impoverished communities. I'm not sure if anyone, if people know that they would be able to change that. Well, you're also assuming that. Um, Fair enough. So the, I think the interesting thing is that we're making that assumption. And yes, on the surface of it, it would seem that your future is pretty much determined. If you're born into poverty, it's most likely that you're going to stay in poverty. You've got to but, work a lot harder. Right. So you've got to work a lot harder. But at the same time, we're making that assumption because I think what happens, and I just see it on the periphery, there are. I guess, pockets of people who are in poverty that still dream about playing for for the national soccer team. Fair enough. Or maybe getting a break and um, becoming a model or an actress. Or, you know, there is always that chance that potentially if you do something, maybe you can get out of it. But do they know the skills behind being able to envision and create a future? No. Well, again, we're assuming that. Hmm. I, it doesn't seem like that that's... You know. so, the, so I think you're right. The system in itself makes sure that the future of people born into poverty is pretty much set. So the majority. Then it's, then it's determined. Yeah. But you can't for one instance say that that is the case all around. No, of course. Because sometimes what happens is that psychologically somebody might see something and go, you know what? I might have been born into poverty, but there's always a chance that I can make it by doing something else. And I guess that's unfortunately, um, us living in Cape Town, I think what's happened is that in the gang culture, that's exactly what happens. Is a drug merchant or a drug dealer drives past driving a nice car, and he says, well, you've born into poverty, but potentially you can get out of poverty by selling drugs mm-hmm. or joining this gang or you know, playing football or mm, something like mm. that. And I guess that is unfortunately a negative way of selling a different kind of future, um, which is the only future that seemingly are available to people. And I guess in the same way, if you're born wealthy, the opposite is also true, is that, yes, if you, if you just toe the line, you can go to the best universities and you can, you know, go into daddy's business and do what you're supposed to do. But there's always the possibility that you could stuff it up. You could go and do something stupid. You know, you could, I don't know, become a drug addict or you can do something silly and then all of that is taken away from you. Mm. So it's I guess, it's in, yeah, sides. in the context of South Africa, yeah, I see that people from poorer communities, once they get to university level, I, I almost feel like how much they need to work to catch up Sure. To other people is exponential. Often schooling in a language that is not their first language at home. Yeah. Um, often, you know, just having to 
you know, let's say someone got a bursary and they don't need to worry about money, which is not always the case. I think very certain amounts of people are offered bursaries and also they're only offered for very certain types of courses. Mm. So just in order to close that inequality gap, yeah, it's you gonna just, be you got to work a lot harder. Yeah, it's gonna than it be is really going to be for someone from a more affluent culture to fall backwards. Right. It takes. It's not as. It's not as difficult. But I think the point is. Mm. So we came to this. <laughs> the point is, is that you can create the future that you want. Yeah. I know that for some people the barriers are huge. Yes. Um, but ultimately, otherwise, you know, otherwise, what do you believe that your life is just predetermined? So when you're born and how you die and everything that happens in between, you have no control over it. Mm. And that's not what we believe, right? Because... Not, not what you and I believe. Well, I don't think that's what... Surely that's not what society believes. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mean, make the assumption. Right. So it would be an interesting... I guess that's an interesting question. Do you believe that you can have a different future as to what you currently have now? Mm. Because... I think so many religious organizations and religious theory. So if you look at Buddhism Mm. uh, or you look at this mindfulness movement or you think about people who do meditation, Mm -hmm. why are you doing meditation? Because you realize that your life is spinning out of control. The amount of chaos and noise that's in your mind is just not serving you any longer. And you're choosing a path as to try and quiet in the mind Mm. and the reason that you're doing that is so that you're better able to cope so isn't that in a way creating a different future as to what you have right now it is you're creating a future which is calmer um so in essence if that theory holds true then so does the same uh of creates like designing a different future that you want and going after that so if people are wanting to create their own future, what would be some of the steps that you would suggest? I mean, you and I do these, do quite a few exercises as a couple, as well as before we met, we used to do them in our own personal capacity. And we've had an episode on setting goals and going on a journey together. But say you're a 16-year-old boy Mm -hmm. and you're sitting at home and you're not particularly enthralled or happy or excited about your future right what would be some of the uh the kind of takeouts you could give them from your experience or from your studies so step number one if i'm a 16 year old boy i assume i'm me as a 16 year old boy so a white male in south africa privileged 16 sure i've got a great education i have access to money uh i'm 16 the first thing that i would do is i would look at the world and I'd say, hmm, right now, would it be a good idea for me to go and be an accountant? And I'd probably think, well, in the next couple of years, potentially being an accountant wouldn't be like necessarily a great job um, in the way that I see it now, because the industry of accounting is probably going to change in the Mm. next 10 years. For sure. So understand that I might, my vision of being an accountant will shift radically. So maybe an accountant. And I think that, and again, maybe it's specific to South Africa and international listeners, please let us know. Mm. But there definitely was a time in South Africa where it was, you know, just go and study accounting and you can always get a job. And And that's what was said to me. Yeah, absolutely. Or go study a BCom. Just go study BCom and you've always got something to go back on to. 
And I'm not saying that the knowledge is not useful or, but do universities teach you different methods of thinking? I think if you're studying engineering, sure. But yeah, I think it's no longer that, you know, just go and study something and work for the post office. So I think, I think the important point is, is that the future does not start with you. No matter what someone says, unfortunately it doesn't. No matter how much you might will yourself to be an accountant, if the job of accountant is Dis- has disappeared, obsolete. then you can't be that. Mm. And it's the same as I can't will myself to fly like a bird. I have to know what the boundaries are. What are the limitations? Mm. So first thing I would do is understand what the limitations are now and where those limitations might go in the future. It's almost like a bit of a trend spotting. Yeah. So I've got to know like what does the future potentially look like? Mm-hmm. Then second step would be what are my strengths? What are my capabilities? And as a 16-year-old boy, if I had thought to myself, well, I want to be a prop forward for Western province, that would have been a poor choice because I wasn't a very large (laughs) 16-year-old and I was not particularly skilled in rugby, even though I went to a traditional rugby school. So that would be silly. So I guess it's also about understanding who you are. What are you good at? What do you love? Um, Where potentially you can make money? Uh, and what does the world need? What are those? What are those four things that you can? And what about what do you enjoy doing? Exactly. So, what do you love? Passionate. What are you good at? What does the world need? How can you make money? Those four things, including some other things. But if you can just find a balance between those four, um, yeah, just a little bit of self awareness. And then I think what would be really important is to understand, okay, so I found something that connects the dots between those four things. What do I actually want to spend a lot of time becoming good at? So if it is I want to be a chef, I might love cooking. There's opportunity to make money as a chef. The world definitely eats food and needs chefs. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. But the point is, is that, okay, so you might be good at this, as a chef now, but you're going to have to practice in day in and day out at being a better chef. And do you think you've got the willpower and the grits in order to go through the process of getting better? Because in my mind, if you want to really position yourself in the future world, you've really got to become very, very good at whatever it is that you choose. I don't think this idea of, oh, I'm just going to pitch up to my job is a very helpful idea because you're kind of half-hearted in that space. Well, also, I think, you know, in Africa by next year, isn't it like 50% of all the people are going to be under 21? Yeah. So there's a lot of young people out there mm. that are all uh, creating their own futures. So. Exactly. So I think you've got to be able to honestly, <laughs> honestly say to yourself, I'm going to invest a lot of time getting good at this thing. Because I know I I look at us, Mm. you know, even when you're not at work, you are exploring what's happening in the world of Mm. pop culture, what's happening in the fashion industry, what's going on. The same with me. Even if I don't need to present anything to a client, I'm reading books about futures. I'm reading books about strategy. In fact, the last time I read a book that wasn't a strategy book, I cannot remember that. I think it was Cheryl Strayed's Wild Book. (laughs) Which was, I think I read that five years ago. That's the last thing I read, which wasn't a workbook. So while you're speaking, um, one of the thoughts that keeps popping into my mind is I remember being 16 and having to start 
thinking about what I wanted to do with my life. Not that my parents put any pressure on me, but I felt the pressure myself because I felt that everyone around me knew what they wanted to do, but not that they necessarily knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they were going to study, should I say. So they were working towards producing results that would enable them to get into these courses. And most of them were your computer sciences and business science and, you know, these kind of more generic courses that I never actually understood. Um, what you could do with the actual degree. If I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, would I have rather studied psychology or um, philosophy? Absolutely. Almost as a bit of a placeholder. That's also assuming you have access to funds to study. Um, And I was fortunate enough for my parents to have paid for my studies. And I guess I remember because I was creative, people would often say, and this was 1994 to 96, people would often say, you should be a graphic designer. And I had no clue what a graphic designer did. I spoke to a few people that were graphic designers and what they told me that they used to do sounded hideous. And there was almost like no one really knew what to do, like to inspire me or what to tell me at least, to inspire me of what I could do. And I guess I was so scared I was going to make a wrong decision or that I was going to land up not studying. And I loved fashion and I had my own company when I was in high school making clothes for people. And everyone said, no, you must do fashion design. But I was, you know, I just thought it was a hobby. I thought it was something fun. So I guess um, to round off my very long point, it would be for 16-year-old us to, to go and also look at what are the other applications of the studies. Um, just because you study graphic design doesn't mean you have to become a graphic designer. Mm. But what are the other things that one could do with that? Or what does it allow you access for future studies? You know, so so if you study graphic design as an entry level design course, could you what could you then progress into or what could be the next course that one, you know, you could take? And, you know, could it be the psychology of the design of graphics and how that makes people feel. You know, back then yeah. it, you didn't, you couldn't just become an artist with a graphic design diploma. Mm. Whereas nowadays you absolutely can. You can become a graffiti artist. And I think that's an excellent point because when I was 16 and when you were 16, it was very much this binary world where if you went and did a BCom, you would go and be a CA and then hopefully Auditor. you would be like a CEO within 10 years. Like the world doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah. And I think what's so amazing, if you are 16-year-old, if you are a 16-year-old in 2019, the f- absolutely amazing thing is, and we've spoken about it on this podcast before, is this idea of taking journeys. And all of the journeys will connect with each other. And if you go and do fashion design and you do psychology and you do a philosophy degree and you end up studying Zen Buddhism, you can combine all of those totally. things together. Psychology of fashion. I mean, how amazing. Exactly. You can be a completely unique individual that even if you start a YouTube channel or you're on the speaking circuit or you end up at um, Interdix, uh, I don't know, running one of their major divisions, all of those things are going to help you and all of them will contribute. And I think this idea that your path is linear and you do one thing and when whatever you choose to do at 18 is what you're going to be doing. Till the day you retire at 65, those days are gone. That doesn't exist anymore. And if I had a kid, I would absolutely encourage them to explore as many subjects and opportunities as as possible. And even if it sounds totally random, I think it's 
brilliant, you know, because as long as you are learning and developing and getting something from it, you know, who cares if it's a recognized career? Make you, you can make it into <laughs> a recognized career. Um, there, like the other day, I was looking at a, a YouTube channel of someone who's got millions of YouTube subscribers, um, and she is a voice coach, and she gives commentary about people singing. And sure. she's a YouTube hit. Mm. You know, it's hugely entertaining. Um, so we watched that uh, program on Netflix last night about people that were body art consult uh, trainers. Yeah. Like, I would have never thought that job exactly. existed. Exactly. So, Devlin that creates stages for... For Kanye West <laughs> and you too. Yeah. Is and it's not to say that these people don't need to study. And we're not saying don't study. We're just saying be curious and don't limit yeah. yourself to having to study in order to define a career. Exactly. I don't think there is, there is no one thing that you can go and study to uh, be an interesting person or to be a great storyteller or to be an engaging character that people want to listen to and to follow. So, so if you had to now speak to our 60-year-old selves, mm. what advice would we give those people about studying <clears throat> or about the future? Well. I think what I would say to the 60-year-old selves is that the future is something which more than ever is quite wide open. There are so many options, so many routes that you can take, and it really is a case of exploring and being passionate about the journey that you're on. And in some sense, I firmly believe that if you are passionate about where you're at or what you're learning, you're, it's going to be infectious. You're going to tell your story and people are going to gravitate towards it. They're going to connect with it. And you're going to end up being a compelling character, which ultimately is what a brand is. And I think that, you know, there, I think there's a lot of fear about the future. And this is pulling it all back into where we started. Is it emotionally, I feel that especially in South Africa, people are fearful about what the future holds. And there's a lot of anxiety about artificial intelligence and what jobs are we going to do and what's going to happen with the government and all of these kind of things. Um, I think the challenge for us is to step into that fear and not to be too worried about it. Let's go and explore. Let's find some of the answers. Let's ask interesting questions. So do and scenarios <laughs> yeah, with yourself. Do scenarios with yourself. And, and there's no point in being fearful. Fearful is not a, an emotion which is useful. All it does is it stops you. It's, it contains you. And I think for the future, we need to be curious. Uh, I think it's about not saying that fear doesn't exist. It's about saying, I will step with fear into the future. And which is what Nelson Mandela said is the true definition of courage, right? Right. It's to explore in any case. It's acknowledging the fear. Uh, and even despite that fear, one's able to still consider what the future might be. Yeah. So advice for my 60 year old self, listen to more 16 year olds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because I find the, the space absolutely fascinating. Absolutely. I just think that there's so much opportunity. It's such an open and free world. You know, nowadays you can be whoever you want to be. And it's, it's just not as binary as what it was when we were there. But I guess in some sense, we're still 16-year-olds at heart. So there's a, there are lots of routes for us still to explore here. There's some 16-year-old about me and some 60-year-old about me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. That was interesting. 
Not at all where we thought we were going to go. <laughs> no, but it doesn't matter. People know by now that we talk about a lot of random stuff. But hopefully it was useful. Subscribe, people. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. <laughs> all of those things. Until next time, bye. Thanks for listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers.